Hallelujah. The Lord is good. And all the time. Yeah. I want to thank the Lord for your life that you are here today. Yeah. You are here. It's a beautiful thing that we are here to get today. Hallelujah. I want to welcome my dear daughters from UVA that have come back from the summer break to home back to Charlottesville. God bless you. It's good to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We thank God for his protection over your lives when you went home and he has brought you back. Amen. This semester is going to be great. Yes, it's a semester of excellence. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. You have to just say to yourself, this semester, my 4.0, I'm calling it forth. Amen. I'm speaking it. You walk into the class, you tell your teacher, Professor, I just want to greet you. I just want you to know that preparing my name with a 4.0 next to it. You don't have to wait to see it. My name is, and you tell your, your professor your name, and said, just make sure 4.0, an A plus is next to my name. Amen. Because I serve a living God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. It's good to see my dear son Peter back all the way from Kenya. Good to see you, dear son. Amen. We thank the Lord for the traveling mercies. We also have our Among Us as well, someone that I've, I, I don't love just because, but I love because I love. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to acknowledge the life of my dear brother, Elder Mario Boatin, his wife, Dickness Doreen, as they are here with us. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Very soon we'll give him the chance to speak on what he has on his mind as he comes to visit us today. We also have among us as well, by the grace and the love of God, wonderful women of God the Lord has set apart for his time and his generation. Our, you know, um, general secretary from Lynchburg campus, our dear sister minister, Nanabna, and she counts with her also her, her counterpart sister, Vic. May the Lord richly bless you too for being here today. God bless you too for being here today. Amen. And we'll also give you guys the time to also speak what is on your mind, what has brought you here. We can also receive. Hallelujah. Amen. Tell your neighbor, it's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen. Our text, we started this last week. So those who were not here last week, just put your hands on your chest and say, God, have mercy upon me. And just give me the word that was spoken last week. Because I'm not going back. I'm moving forward. Hallelujah. Um, but it is on our podcast. It is on our podcast. So you can go back and listen. But we started last week with the theme or the message, Beyond a Call of Duty. Beyond a Call of Duty. And today we are going into the next part. But the fullness of this text itself comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10. In the next, when I'm done with this portion of it, we are then going to delve into what this entire series really is about. We dealt with the condition of the heart. We dealt with the condition of the mind sometimes back for the past, since the beginning of the year. And now we are dealing with this very, you know, in between, it is beyond a call of what? Duty. And then after that, we are going to go into dealing with the armor of God, where you read from Ephesians 6, verses 10 going down. But before we went into talking about the armor, it is important to understand that the armor has not been given unto us as a sign of display. He didn't say amen to that. 
But the armor of God has every purpose to do for our everyday life. You know, it's not just as we are putting this armor on today, tomorrow we take the armor of God. The armor of God has been given to us for a reason. Amen. So I wanted to make sure that I made it, I, I, as the Lord has directed, we teach for us to understand what the armor of God truly is. Because if you're not very careful, you are saying that I have put on the armor yet. You see, it is important to understand what you put on. Amen. It is important to understand what you put on. Because if David when he was about to fight Goliath, had remained to put on the armor that Saul had given unto him, he would have found himself falling short. You didn't get me here. See, David realized that the armor that Saul had given unto him does not fit him. And it would not enable him to do what God has called him to do. So the Bible makes us understand that he took it off. And went forth to display what the Lord has already given unto him. And victory came forth. See, God has called us. The reason why this, this message beyond the call of duty is that God has called us. But he has called us to go beyond what we can even do with our own strength. He has called us to prevail in the grace that he has given unto us. God has called us to rise above the storm. God has called us to be the head, but not the tail. You see, these things are not just spoken just to be spoken. But you have to understand that the word of God is always going to be true. Amen. So we need to understand these things extremely very carefully. Amen. So tell your neighbor, beyond the call of duty. So, we doubt with this whole thing as we are under the big umbrella of prevailing grace. And one of the things that I made mention of and I've been saying over and over is that prevailing grace is more than just saying that I have the grace of God. But it's truly a life that we live every day. Amen? Yeah. We, it is a life that we live every day. Because every day of our life, there are some struggles that come into our life. That we have to be able to prevail against it. You can't just say that today I went through without not having to fight any battle. It's as simple as what Minister Carol was talking about. That you may be playing your music, your, your gospel song. And somebody will come and tell you, shut it down. And your ability of being able to handle that situation will cause you to prevail. You get my point here. So we need to understand why prevailing grace is life to us. Not just something that we carry for the moment, but every day, God, help me to prevail in your grace. Because we've been saved by what? Grace. Now, it is not just saying that I've been saved by grace, so I sit in this very position and not move forward. But we have been called to grow in grace to grace to grace. So it means that the grace has to what? Increase and has to follow us. Everywhere we go, grace has to work. Your life has to be a reflection of the fullness of God's grace. Amen. Minister Carol, there's some echo in here. 
Your life has to be a reflection of God's grace. So Apostle Paul said that I have a thorn on my flesh. I have a thorn on my flesh. And the Bible says he prayed three times. But yet, God's response to him was, my grace is sufficient. You got to get it here. The apostle was facing a problem. He needed a response that would say, I will take away this problem out of your sight. I don't know what problems you may be facing. But many of the times when we are going through problems to the students, even when you are, your classes are challenging to you, sometimes we yearn more towards the fact that God take this problem away. So instead of taking the problem away, if God does not make something happen, then we drop out of that class, change our degree, choose what we think we can fit well with. Can I get an amen here? I want to make sure I'm preaching to the church of the living God. And for some of us, when we are going through issues at places of work, when we are going through struggles in our homes, what we want to do is say that God, take this problem away. And sometimes if we are not seeing God taking the problem away, then we take the problem in our own hands. But when Apostle Paul was going through his problem, the Bible does not go in details what the problem was. But all we know is that it was a problem. But the Lord's response to him was that my grace is what? Uh, can I get a church that knows how to say that well? My grace is what? My grace is what? How come God did not have any other response but this very quotation, my grace is sufficient? It's because if you have come to believe in Jesus Christ, then the Bible says in the Gospel of John chapter 1 that he came in the fullness of what? Grace. So Jesus has to be what? Sufficient for you. I didn't get it. I didn't get the church here. Let me go to the church here. They may understand me. If Jesus is full of grace, when God is saying that my grace is sufficient, then he's saying that my son is sufficient for you. So if you can just believe in my son, the problems will be there all right. But my son will be enough for you to handle. My son is all that you need. My son is what you need in your going and your coming. My son is what you need in your time of healing. My son is what you need in your time of difficulties. My son is what you need in your time of struggle. My son Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient. So the reason why we have entitled this theme this year, Prevailing Grace, is that we need to walk in the grace that is sufficient. The grace that prevails. God wants you to overcome. It's about time we become a church that stand. And when we call upon the Lord, he answers. You get it. You get it. It's about time the children of God that have come to believe in Jesus. When we call upon Jesus, we believe and know that when we call upon Yahweh, he will answer to our aid. We will be anxious of nothing. Even when the response that you think you want is not coming. 
It's all right. I'm cool. Tell your neighbor, I'm cool. Because his grace is sufficient. Amen. Before I go into the text that I want to just, by the way, I'm not going to finish. Next week, you're going to come back. Amen. One of the things, those who, if your first time is here, I'm not a pastor that rushes through God's word. I don't want to do injustice to you. I'll give you what the Lord has given to us. But if I don't finish because of time, because many of you have places to go, you'll come back next week. If you don't come back next week, I'll come to your house. <laughs> and I'll preach to you again. Hallelujah. So if you don't want me to come to your house, then you have to just come. Uh, you see? Because if it's just you and I, then you know that there's no time limit. I'm going to preach and preach uh, like the... the the young boy that, you know, the apostle was preaching, uh, then he fell. He fell asleep and collapsed. Yeah, you may probably fall asleep. And when you wake up, I'll still be preaching. <laughs> Hallelujah. There are three things that the Lord wants us to understand. Why prevailing grace should be a roadmap of life. Why is prevailing grace should be our life. We should yearn to live a life that prevails in his grace. Three things. That we, the people who have been called and have come to believe in God, will know, that the, prom will know the promise of God. That is the first thing. The reason why it's important for us to know this is life is that God wants us to know that he, his promise, he is God in his promise. We need to know that he is God in his promise. So his word says that my promises are what? Yes and amen. You see, God has made provision, his promises. One being about what we just already talked about, his grace being sufficient. Now, if you have become saved by grace and you have come to know Jesus and you have come into Christ believing in him, you need to know the promises that is at hand because those promises belong to you. You get my point? You see, you cannot be a Christian for somebody to tell you who your father is. You cannot tell me that my children, Gabriel, Annabelle, and Isabel, need you to tell them who their father is. As a matter of fact, in their young age, they can still tell you and properly articulate truly who the father is. And I can guarantee you they will not be wrong. Why? Because they spent time with their father. Why? Because they desire to know their father. Why? Because their father is of interest to them. You get my point? So it is important for us to understand God and knowing him as children of God is because when we lack to know the promise that is in, at hand because of our salvation, if we don't know, we become paralyzed. But if you know the promise of God says, that even you will walk through the fire and it will not consume you. If you know that the promise of God says that by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. If you know these promises of God, then the anxiety of today does not seize your heart. We need to know and stand upon his word. You see, the centurion soldier, the Bible says, when he went to Jesus Christ, 
And Jesus said, let's go to your house for me to save, I mean, heal your servant. He said, I am a man of what? Authority. And I know that whatever I speak, I tell my servants, do this, and they do it. You didn't get me here. Let me go here. Whatever I say, do this, and they do it. So he says, you don't need to go to my Ruth, but just speak your word. Even he who was a centurion soldier, who did not truly know who the magnitude of God, understood his authority. And the authority of God lies in his word. So he understood that God, Jesus Christ, just had to speak the word. And this will happen. So he said, I have not seen any greater faith like this. Even those who were supposed to know better, did not even know the authority that the Lord Jesus was carrying. You see, it's about time that the church, we yearn to understand the promises of God is for us. But it boils down to us searching into his word, knowing the word, studying the word, meditating upon the word, meditating upon it day and night. And he told Joshua that you shall be what? Successful. You see, when we know the promise of God, Joshua prayed that God let the sun cease. Hey, can I get a church here? Let the sun cease. And it's recorded in the word that the sun stood still because Joshua had meditated upon the word day and night. And he knew that the word says that I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never forget about you. The scripture that we read during our promise hour, he said that what? I have not, you will not be forgotten by me. So where everybody forgets about you, say, guess what? There is one more. He has never forgotten about me. Jesus has not forgotten about me. When everybody says, I'm going to forget about you. When the boyfriend and the girlfriends want to forget about you, say, that's all right. Because he had not forgotten about me. When the person that says, I promise to marry you, but yet come and tell you something different, that something has happened, so I can't make it happen anymore. Say, that is all right. Because God has promised me that he will be with me to the very end. When your supervisors and your bosses don't want to help you promote up, say, that's all right. Because my God will promote me. At the appointed time, when you are asking for the result and it's not coming, say, that is all right. It's all right. Wow. I've not gotten into my preaching yet. But we have next week. Hallelujah. We have next week. That is one of the things I wanted to say. So there are three things I want to make mention and making prevailing grace a roadmap of life. One, is knowing the promise of God. Two, knowing your position in the promise of God. Knowing what? Your position in the promise of God. You have to know where you stand in God's promise. You have to know how the promise is connected to your life. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Last week we read this. 
He says that beside this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us work properly in the, in the, day, in the daytime. Not in the orgies and the drunkenness, not in sexual immoralities and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But what? Put on the Lord what? Jesus Christ. Put on. Tell your neighbor, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the quotation says, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desire. Make no provision. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that, for the verses 11 says that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. It's about time that the children of God, those who have come to believe in Jesus, it's about time that you wake up and respond to what God has called you to respond to. It's about time we walk, we know our position, that the time is nearer than ever before. The time is nearer than when we first believed. So it's about time we wake up. Hallelujah. We wake up and serve the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul. We have time for everything else, but no time for God. Yeah. I'm preaching it to you by the grace of God that we understand this. It's about time we wake up. Hallelujah. We wake up from our place of slumber. We wake up from our place of sleep. Listen, some of you, God has given you the ability that through you, lives are going to change. Through you, somebody's going to receive salvation. It doesn't matter how young you may be. If God has called you, so he will do it. But not until you wake up. Sometimes we have become accustomed, and I have to preach this, we have become accustomed that everything has to be done by the pastor. Yeah. Uh, the pastor has to be the one to pray for the people. I wish I had a church that will have people that will just rise to intercede for the people of God, for the nation America, for the world. Mm. Their position in the promise. The third reason is God's ultimate purpose for the provision of his promise. We need to know God's ultimate purpose for the provision of his promise. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1. Are we getting there? All right, I'll read. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with the hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our inhabitation from which is, in, which is from heaven. If indeed... Having been clothed, we shall not be found naked, for we are for we who are in this 
content groom, being burdened not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, who, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who, ha, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantor. Hallelujah. So we are always confident, and I'm aligned that. So we are always confident, knowing that while we were, are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes. Well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now verse 9 says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing toward him. For, when, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or what, bad. The ultimate, the ultimate purpose of God's provision are three things highlighted here. One, that we know that we have the Holy Spirit as our guarantor. He told the people, the, the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit what, comes. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, it gives unto you what? Power. Likewise, the Gospel of John gives a whole entire list of the things that the Holy Spirit can do. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, it shall give unto you what? Understanding. The Holy Spirit gives unto us understanding concerning the promises of God's word. The Holy Spirit comes to give us the ability that we uphold, confident knowing that the Lord is with us. So he says in verse 6, so we are always confident. We remain confident. We are able to prevail in the grace because always we know the Holy Spirit is with us. Tell your neighbor, the Holy Ghost is with me. Because of the Holy Spirit, I am able to walk by faith, not by sight. Because the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to know that even though I don't see him, I know he lives. And even though I may not see all the things that I want to see today, I know the Lord will make it come to pass. So my faith is always in confidence in the Lord. Because because it is part of his purpose. And lastly, Apostle Paul said that they aim to please the king. They aim to please him. It is my prayer that we aim to please God. Day after day. Assess our life. How is our life pleasing the Lord of Lord? Hallelujah. See the time. But tell your neighbor that, please, God, have mercy upon him. So we say prevailing grace in life. If we are saying prevailing grace is life, then we need to have a life that will seek to go beyond the status quo. The people that, that the people who have come to believe in God will know the promises of God. The three things I've already made mention of. 
So then the key question here, which I will continue next week, is then, then how do we then increase? Where does this word come from? When we read Ephesians 6, verses 10, if you can go there briefly, as I'm bringing my message to a close, I, I want to make sure I end in a way that you can take something with you today as well. Amen. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Those who were here last week, I broke this word down in, in the original language. And that original language was taken out of the Greek word, which simply means to increase in strength. So what God is saying here, as the Apostle Paul was writing this, that may you increase in God's armor. Be increased in God. Be increased in his strength. So everything that we are going to be talking about in the next months ahead of us, every armor of God that we are going to talk about, there is a place of increase. We need to increase in knowing that he is the word of truth. Hallelujah. We need to increase knowing that he is the breastplate of righteousness. We need to increase in our place of the gospel of peace. We need to increase in our place of the shield of faith. We need to increase in our helmet of salvation. It is not just to put it on, but also what? To increase. So how does this increase come into be? In the next three minutes, I want to end with this. Let's go to Psalm 1, verses 3. And then Jeremiah 17, verses 10. If somebody can read Psalm 1, verses 3, that will be good. And I'll read Jeremiah 17. Is anybody there yet? Yes. Verses 1 lets us know that this is who the righteous is. They are like a tree planted where? They are like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prosper. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand whatever he does, prevails. Whatever he does, what? Increase. Whatever he does, what? prevails. Whatever he does what? Increase. God says that we are to what? Increase. Hallelujah. And prevail. Now keep in mind that the Lord is referring that we should be like a tree planted by the streams of water. That, you know, Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 7 to 10. I want to read that briefly. Because that expands on this very place in Psalm 1 verses 3. Verses 10 says, Verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he is like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of droughts, nor will cease from yielding what fruits will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor will cease from yielding what? Fruit. These two quotations or these two places are quite very equal, talking about the same thing. But Jeremiah expanded upon it with the first verse, verse 7. Blessed is the man who what? Trust in the Lord 
And whose hope is what? Can I get a church here? Whose hope is what? Whose hope is what? Not in the Lord. Whose hope is the Lord? Whose hope is the Lord? I, I will deal with this next week. But I came to teach you two things here by the grace of God. That that trust and hope, whenever these two words are brought together in enjoyment, it speaks to us about our, our place of position in the Lord. And you may ask, Pastor, what are you talking about here? Because trust is a reflection of your position in terms of knowledge. What you have knowledge of is what you will trust. Because you know that the, doctor, the doctors have knowledge over their medical diseases, you trust in the message, the report of the doctors. Because you know that your teachers have gone to school to learn about calculus and learn about psychology, whatever they teach you in that class, you trust their report. So trust is a reflection of your knowledge, your position of knowledge. But hope really is a reflection of your position of experience. He says that the Lord is my hope. The Bible says that Abraham believed in God and was counted unto him as righteousness. How did Abraham believe in God? He walked with the Lord. He walked with God. So Romans says that even when Abraham, the promise came for him to have a child. Listen to what the word says. It says, against all hope. Abraham stood hope. What does that mean? It means that the hope Abraham was carrying was not just any ordinary hope of the things, but was hope that God is his hope. God was his hope. So Abraham hoped Against all hope, Abraham stood what? Hoped. This morning, I pray that I will end here and we'll continue this next week. But prevailing grace is life. A life that we live every day. A life of knowing and trusting in God. A life whereby we make God our hope. We need to trust in him. And the only way you can do that is by what? Knowing who he is. Getting acquainted to him. Coming to know that he is. What he say he is. And then, walking in that place of his hope. Day after day. The Lord is my hope. I'll finish this next week. May you rise on your feet, please.